Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson. The Last Nighters and the Last Last Nighters can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 124 of the show, and we're going to talk about the Netflix movie, The Platform. And we're going to descend into the Rawlsian nightmare, talking about lockdowns. As many people start getting on the higher floors and some started lower, the longer this goes on with the lack of production, the massive supply chain disruptions, the lower we will all get. So I'm, I'm relating this movie to present day, uh, it's kind of the baseline of my discussion. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash one, two, four. We have a guest and we are apparently locked into uh, Texas guests, apparently, because we had Rachel Kennerly of Kenneth Heals Me on last week, and we will be joining her for her episode on The Gentleman in a few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. But the other guest we have tonight is Scott Morrison, a.k.a. Captain A, who is also the great purveyor of the Facebook meme page, The Silence of the Memes. And I will defer to him to describe what that is and uh, welcome back to the show you were on with us for crazy heart for enemy at the gates and also joker and uh you're with us tonight for the platform welcome back to the show scott oh hello, hello yes yes it was those are good movies i like i need to watch the joker again i don't think i've seen that since we talked about it yeah it is I'm a certainly good one. tired of watching this movie <laughs> <laughs> well tell me um a little bit about your Facebook meme page. I've got oh, it yeah. Across the bottom yeah. here. People can find it at facebook.com slash silence of the memes, no spaces. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, we all know politics can get uh, a bit of a soul crushing weight to it. And making memes forces me to find humor. But also, I have to, you have to narrow down a, a very important point to a very short space, one, one line, and then to make it funny. And I like that challenge. So I've been making memes. Well, that's good. You've been making memes for a while, and now you've got your own page about it, and uh, I've enjoyed them. Uh, and you're right. They do get to the heart of whatever is in question, and it's a way to convey a whole lot of information in a very quick way. Mm-hmm. And I think memes are one of the, uh, I guess you could call it the information warfare. Uh, it's one of the d- quick deployment. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, there. they're really quick. If you can get them out there, um, and I've, I've, I've <laughs> The original goal was to have a friend send me my own meme without knowing it's my own meme. And that actually happened really quickly. Like that was, that was almost kind of shocking how fast that happened. Um, but it's been really entertaining. I'm just waiting now to see the moment my dad sends me my own meme. That will be glorious. <laughs> that would be pretty good. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming back on the show. And uh, we're going to be talking about the platform and I'll get into the Google description here. Uh, this came out uh, just last year, 2019. It's a sci-fi slash horror film, one hour and 34 minutes. Can be found on Netflix. It was distributed by Netflix and has a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. 82% Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, in a reversal from most movies, it actually has a lower uh, percentage of people liking it from Google at only 77%. The description is very short. It says, in the future, prisoners housed in vertical cells watch as inmates in the upper cells are fed while those below starve. So not a whole lot to go on here, Robert, but uh, this came out February 21st of this year, um, launched out in uh, Taiwan. The director is Galder Gatsalua Uriate. <laughs> I'm totally butchering that. Dude, your uh, pronunciation is so spot on. It's so good. Me out right now. So strong. And uh, it's called El Hoyo in uh, Spanish. The whole, the language is Spanish. And uh, uh, if you turn on the English uh, dub and the English subtitles, they don't match. They don't line up. So it's very confusing. Uh, my wife and I like to watch shows and, and movies with the closed captioning on because we're old. And uh, sometimes we can always hear everything. And it was just way too... That was the horror I saw in this was that those things didn't line up. So I had to turn off the closed captioning. 
But uh, what's your take on the uh, on the Google information and what's your opening, your strong opening? Well, that is terrifying, Daniel. Having the the words not match up is, man, I, I can't even imagine living in that kind of nightmare. It's like a level, it's a level six problem. I mean, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, basically having to eat your wife to survive, basically. Um, so anyway, uh, I watched this movie in the original Espanol and my two years of high school Spanish, let me tell you, came through. I understood way more than I thought I would. There's something about Spanish, Spanish, Spain, Spanish, that is way more easy to understand. I guess the enunciation, the pronunciations, there's no like, I mean, the slang is probably, of course, different, but like the way I learned it, we must have learned Spain Spanish as opposed to like Mexico Spanish, because this was, I can understand this way more than just like, like a couple of Mexicans talking. I, I have no idea what they're talking about, but this movie, I was like, I mean, I'm following along with what they're talking about. This is pretty amazing. I didn't understand all of the voca- the vocabulary. Of course, it's the, one of the first things to go. And yeah, I, but the verbs were almost all there still. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But anyway, this is uh, yeah, it's like a um, it's like a one act play. It's all set in the same place. That's kind of like the psychological horror character study movie. And for what it is, you know, I think it's perfectly entertaining. Um, as a commentary on the world or like economics or anything like that, it's horrifically stupid, but I'm not surprised. I mean, there's like zero movies that get economics, right? Maybe Atlas shrugged or something, maybe gets it right. But, but, uh, all these, uh, lefty type movies, they have no concept. They have this fixed pie fallacy where the rich are eating up all the resources and there's nothing left for the poor people. And it's just, it's just really stupid. But I mean, if you just take it as a character study, where these people are, you know, going into for vague reasons, like some voluntarily, some not voluntarily. I'm not exactly sure if there's like contracts involved here, but it seems to be like you go in for a certain amount of time and then the main character is going to get a uh, a diploma of some kind at the end of it. He obviously thinks it's worth it, but I don't think that he's goes in with perfect understanding of how the building operates and what exactly is going to happen to him. So there seems to be some sort of bait and switch going on. But, you know, if you just take it as a psychological horror character study movie, I think it's uh, perfectly good. All right. Well, not a bad uh, open. I, I think I, I tend to agree with you in that if you just look at it as like a horror movie and for just like gross out stuff, it's uh, perfectly entertaining and well done. But if you dig into any of the economics, you're right. It's got a lot of problems. I got a bunch of notes on this. Uh, it's not just the fixed pie fallacy. It's a whole lot, whole host of problems uh, and the whole Rawlsian uh, ideas, uh, egalitarianism, the imposition of, um, was it spontaneous solidarity to spontaneous solidarity? They admit that communism can't work because they can't get everybody to go on board with the, Oh, I'll just take my share and pass it on. Right. I yep. like that. And, and we'll get into that because they do try to, uh, uh, negotiate to get it. And then they try to, uh, use <laughs> the <Then they have laughs> use violence, not well, violence, but also some more gross out factor. Uh, as a threat. I don't remember that part. Gross out factor. What? Oh, yeah. Share the food, or I'm going to poop on the food. I will shit all over the food. You oh, can't shit yeah, upwards. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, that, that gets the results uh, mm-hmm. a little quicker than the uh, than the ni- nice asking, anyway. Uh, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and, and I got a ton of notes on this, so we might have uh, a kind of a long show tonight. But let's go to you, Scott. What's your take on the uh, opening information that Robert has provided and any of the Google, the very short Google information? 
No, 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 that was that was good. Um, I did. I I guess because I always try and come into this looking for something to talk about, it ends up taking away from the fact that it's still just a movie. So yeah, as a, a horror film, um, it makes me want to watch something called Midnight Hour, Midnight some Midnight Madness. So I kept seeing that film get associated with it as I guess a certain level of horror film. Um, so that yeah, I'll give it credit for that. Um, but the and some of the lines, I guess, because I also am a closed caption individual for my hearing impairment. Um, I was reading it. I had it on the English subtitles, and it is totally off. But just you read the line, and the, when you read it, it's so much harder to ignore the stupidity behind whatever they're saying. So I got stuck in the the economics of what they were trying to trying to poke at. That bothered me. So we had any uh, solidarity, you and me, Scott, with we both though thousands or 2,000 miles apart, we both were bothered by the uh, incongruent captions with the English dubbing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got it on right now with closed captioning, and even the timing of the the timing of when they're speaking doesn't line up, and you're just like, mm, I know that's not what they said. So I do wonder how much I missed just off translation, if, if it makes a big difference. My high but, school Spanish classes pay off once again. Oh, man, mine did not. <laughs> All right, Robert. So I wanted to direct a question to you. Now, I think when we were kids, you had maybe floated an idea of a similar one act kind of play. I don't know if it was um, cubes or cells or something like that. And, and you had talked about having uh, people kind of un- un- unsure of who else was in the room with them and having to discover something about them or figure out how to escape. Does this ring a bell at all? Is this at all familiar to you? I, uh, uh, this is definitely something I haven't thought about in 20 years. Um, I, I, I think I remember us talking about this, that so this might've been an idea I had a long time ago, but I cannot provide any additional details at this time. This is something you, you might've like warned me ahead of time and then I could maybe pull something out of my memory, but no, I, I, I want to say it was kind of like a saw film in a sense before saw films were a thing. Right. But I, I don't remember. Okay. Well, good enough. I mean, uh, I watched this and I was like, wow, this is something I th- that I vaguely recall Robert talking about in that little um, house behind your house. You know, we would hang out there and eat uh, tortilla chips and salsa and play WWF on the uh, Nintendo. <laughs> Remember those? those nice? See, you got totally different memories <laughs> of us growing up. I've got one set of memories and you got the other set of memories. So together we make one person. We Voltron together. Yeah. And make, uh, make one whole memory. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that people love this content uh, on this episode 124, the show last night, slash 124. Also find the pre-show and post-show bonus content over on our, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash, what is it, last nighters? Something like that. No, it's lastnighter.com slash Patreon. That's it. Jeez. See, I need mm. you to pick up where my memory is faulty. You're always the man on the spot with that, though. I uh, anyway. Yeah. So um, so I, I opened with this whole Rawlsian idea, and... Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rawls, but he was like a philosophical social theorist who's leaned on pretty heavily by a lot of people making social policy. And he has this concept of an original position. It's like a thought exercise where if you were a uh, in a veil of ignorance, and you didn't know what level of society you would be born into. What kind of society would you want to be born into? And so without knowing whether you'd be uh, in the lower classes or higher classes or middle class, uh, what what would you choose without foreknowledge. And his argument is that, well, you would obviously be risk averse and want to have at least some minimum standard level of uh, survival. 
you'd want some level of comfort, some amount of food, some form of shelter. And so you would want to have that kind of society uh, basically imposed upon everybody by whatever social structure or governmental structure is in place. And I'm sort of paraphrasing this, and Tom Woods has a really good episode, uh, his episode 445, you can find that at tomwoods.com slash 445, where he goes into this whole um, idea. But uh, in watching this movie with these platforms, and every month you move from one floor to another, and as the food descends, people are eating as much as they want, and then it moves down, and eventually you, you run out of food, obviously. So it sort of uh, sounded a lot like Rawls in that if you didn't know you're going to be on floor 100 or floor 10, uh, what kind of society would you want in this uh, platform structure, in this vertical structure? Would you want it to be uh, sort of imposed on everybody that they can just have a certain amount of ration and then make a plate for the next person going down? Or would you want to get as much as you could as while it was available? Uh, and then, you know, this fixed pie fallacy that you talked about earlier, where there is no production going on. There's only just a, an amount of stuff. Uh, there's no question as to where that came from. And as it goes further and further down into the platform, uh, there's less and less available. And eventually you get down to the point where there's cannibals uh, and appropriately enough, silence of the memes, Scott, you're, you're the guest that's your, uh, your website. And we're talking about a movie that features some cannibalism, uh, Hannibal Lecter style. But um, so Talmuds.com slash four, four, five talks about Rawls. And uh, basically totally ignore, ignores property rights, uh, but then assigns them at a, a certain point. So like if you didn't know what you'd be born into or what level you'd be on, you would want to have uh, a certain kind of uh, society around you. Do you do you guys uh, recall anything about Rawls or am I barking up uh, kind of a random tree here? No, I'm fairly familiar with Rawls. Um, from what I understand, he's the guy that argued that life is normally brutal and short and therefore we need violence and force to keep everybody in line or else it would just be this dog eat dog world no that's hobbs but there's oh, some, i'm getting it wrong sorry there's some hobbsianism in this as well obviously as as you get further and further down in the platform and they say that there's no consequences you can do whatever you want uh people do get into this more primitive uh way of behaving um eating like animals fighting over scraps becoming violent uh there's there's even a scene where when the first guy who he um, rooms with in room 33, which might have some Masonic or some religious uh, undertones, which Scott, you and I have talked about a little bit um, via messenger. But when they move to a, a very low level, our hero, and I, I don't recall his name at the moment, but the, the other guy ties him to a bed, Bush, Bush Doctrine style, like preemptive strike and threatens to, um, well, basically says, hey, here's how it's going to be. We're not going to get any food down at this level. We're on, you know, level 150 or 170 or whatever. No food will get down here. So in order for us to both survive, and because um, you're stronger than I, I'm going to hold you down, tie you down, and then I'm going to harvest meat from you and keep us both alive for the month, cannibal style. And he's going to feed him his own self, sort of also Hannibal Lecter style. Um, what do you think of that bargain there, Robert? It, it's basically because there's no other supplies coming in. It's really... How is it a bargain, though? He has no choice <laughs> of the matter. What are you talking well, yeah, about? It's a bargain, it's a bargain but, but it is a solution. And uh, honestly, I can't really think of any, many other solutions other than maybe they just both volunteer to eat some of each other. Well, as, as I recall, the main character is like, well, I can survive a month without food. But the old guy's like, well, I can't. I'm an old guy. And therefore, I'm going to eat you. That's his justification. So it's not it's not like the other guy would have to eat each other and like, we're going to eat a little bit of each other and we're going to somehow survive. It's no, I have to eat you in order to survive and you have no choice in the matter. Okay. Right. Because you can survive for 
Well, they always say it's like three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. But I think there's some variability in there. It's, I think water, you can go maybe up to a week, though I wouldn't recommend it. Food, you well, can... it, Yeah, I mean, I've I've gone on fast before. And if you're just sitting around, I think it's it's a lot easier than if you're actually having to get up and perform labor or go around hunting for food or anything like that. If you are just laying in bed, I'm sure you could survive for 30 days without it. Assuming you have a, a decent amount of stored body fat. If you're super thin, you know, maybe you might have some more problems and you're going to start eating into your muscles, but I think you'll still live. Your, your liver definitely still has a stored amount of vitamins and minerals. So you're not going to, you know, get scurvy right away or anything like that. All right. And this is not medical advice. We're just critiquing. A <laughs> <film here>. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of medical advice would that be, Daniel? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're go ahead and starve yourself for 30 days. No worries. No worries. <laughs> no fine, guys. Dr. Robert MD right here. <laughs> I tried it one time over spring break. It, it worked out great. So, so really, um, I guess if they were in this um, situation for longer, then the principle would kind of then become principle? a thing. Like how, how would you handle it if it was a longer period of time, then someone could survive without food? Would it change your answer? If, if you could not survive, then I don't see there being any kind of fair or economical, is that a right word? You can shut up. Um, <laughs> sounded nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I don't think that there's any kind of fair contract that's going to be formed. I mean, first of all, you're, you're forced, you're stuck in this place. So any kind of contracts these people come up with, they're all under basically coercion. If, if they formed, they entered into this building with the assumption of one thing, and then he got in there and is totally other thing. That's a bait and switch. That's that was entered into through fraud. And then any, any kind of voluntary associations that the prisoners essentially come into, well, they're all basically under coercion. So, I don't know if any of them are necessarily nap violations or enforceable or anything like that. I, if you're going to, if, if, if one guy voluntarily cuts his leg off and said, I'll, I'll give you my leg and then you can eat, I'll eat your leg. Okay. I, I, I don't think that there's any kind of imposition required. Are you any kind of like, I'm not really sure what I'm starting to say here, Daniel. Basically it's snow piercer, but in a vertical stack instead of a, a horizontal stack. Cause like in the back of the, of the bus in, um, Snowpiercer, they were like eating each other's limbs and stuff. They're volunteering them, I think, to keep people alive. Yeah, and in other movies, there's been like lotteries and stuff. They've kind of explored this this theme before. Well, the scene that's on right now is the woman um, when she's confessing that she didn't know what she was sending people to. So it makes you wonder if they had actually shown that moment when they were filling out the contract and explained what was written in it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, would it have suddenly exposed the whole thing as a shame? Well, it makes me think that there's there's obviously not everything's written in the contract. Like, I don't understand why these people are voluntarily going into this building, not understanding what's going to be in there. It I seemed mean, like he was maybe going there because he wanted to um, go to a monastery type retreat where he could just focus on reading this book or quit smoking or whatever he was trying to do. Like he's trying to isolate himself to force himself to like kick smoking and then read this book and he's going to come out of, out of it with a degree. So it's actually a much faster um, method than the current uh, progressive uh, academic system. Cause it only take him six months to get his degree instead of like six years. Uh, they're called doctors. Right. This reminds me of like the Stanford prison experiment, right? Which is like the, so unethical that they couldn't ever do it again. They couldn't, they had to shut it down early because yeah. people were, <laughs> were watching their roles uh, a little too aggressively too enthusiastically <laughs> beating the <laughs> crap out of people.
Yeah, I think there's actually a movie about that. So um, maybe we can look into that sometime. But that was, uh, I think the guy, Philip Zimbardo, was the professor who handled that. And he assigned people like you're a prison guard or you're a prisoner based on some random selection thing like eye color or what color shirt they were wearing that day or something like that. And it was very quick for people to adopt uh, sort of these innate um, due to the level of uh, authority that they were given to be either sadistic or if they were uh, assigned prisoner, then they were um, much more like meek or docile or like reserved, like they, like, like they deserved it. Like they assumed their role that became part of their identity and very, very rapidly. Wait, but didn't we learn that the Stanford prison experiment was actually a fraud? What do you mean by fraud? Um, like it never happened? No, 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 no. It happened, but um, what we saw was manipulated. Hang the on, results were fake? Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to look it up. It's possible. I, I, I've also heard something about the Milgram experiments that um, <laughs> were questionable. There, there's more evidence that the guards knew the results that Zimbardi wanted to produce and were trained to meet his goals. It also provides evidence that the conclusion of the experiment was predetermined. Mm-hmm. It's from the uh, American Psychology Association. That would so, render the results useless. Well, perhaps a stunt, you know, have it mm, yeah. spectacularly to garner attention. I mean, we're still talking about it today. And from what I understand, it, it got shut down early because it was such a spectacular failure. Right, right. Well, I mean, it would also explain kind of the reason why we saw them go so extreme. Because if you know that's the result you want, then... There's no harm in producing it. Go to that level. Yeah. Whereas maybe you might have felt a little guilty if and not not done that. You know, not tried to be so such a monster to them. Well, Daniel, let me ask you this question. Sir, um, assuming that the contracts are all contain everything that's in there, and all these people are entering in voluntarily, and this was like a, a formal experiment done to study human behavior or something like that. And all the, you know, the food situation and the random placement, everything was going to be explained to all these people going in and everybody did so voluntarily. Would you say that the, the creators, the ones that knew everything acted immorally in any way? And are you talking about specifically as related to this movie or the Stanford prison study? I'm talking about this movie, Daniel. Uh, I don't really think that you can actually ever have perfect knowledge about anything, but it does seem as though it was misrepresented but not by the person in particular who was like interviewing him and providing the intake form because she didn't seem to be aware of it either. She was uh, in a compartmentalized position where she was um, only privy to what was within her view. I understand. I understand. As per the movie, none of what I said is true, but I'm asking a hypothetical here. If the contracts explained everything, like this is the nature of the food coming down, there's going to be random placement in the levels. I'll leave it up to you to decide what's going to happen. But imagine where you're going to be a month without food if everybody above you eats all the food. That kind of thing. It's all explained. So you're doing this, the Rawlsian thought experiment, basically. Like, all right, so coming into this situation, you don't know what floor you're going to be on and what floor you're going to move to next for however many months you're in here. Every every month, you're going to be on a new floor. And right. If you set that up and everybody voluntarily joins, understand this it as best as an adult can understand a thing. And sets it up are you as the game master study writer guy are you doing anything immoral well i can't imagine anyone would sign up for it but uh if people as best as possible understood what was going to happen and you explained it all ahead of time you show them this movie and you're like hey here's what we're doing here's a here's a film depiction of what might happen uh, based on these uh things that we've put in place these motions we put in place and these factors that you're gonna have to navigate through uh I, I guess you've informed them as, as best as possible. And maybe you've got some uh, 
S&M type people who are like into it. Uh, cannibals. You well, know. there are because there's remember that I don't remember the name of the guy, but there's been people like come eat me on Craigslist. Right. And a guy came and ate the guy. Right. And then the guy died. <laughs> and because the guy ate him, like ate his heart or whatever, ate his bits, his important parts. And it was all done voluntarily. But it, like, I want to be eaten and you are a cannibal and you want to eat somebody. And we're both getting what we want. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember if anything like criminally happened to the, the guy that ate the guy. But. It seems like a voluntary situation, Daniel. And what if you you own your own body? I guess I could, we could get together and you could eat me. And that seems like something that I could do. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's illegal, but, um, you know, legality doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um, I mean, I guess if it's voluntary, I guess you could do it, though. It wouldn't be like a natural thing or, or like you're <laughs> satisfying a desire and, and growing and living a full life and all this. It's like a kind of a demented fucking thing, but. I mean, I, I guess you could do it. I mean, if, if everyone's willing. Well, it happened, Daniel. Yeah, it happened. You know, That's not yeah. even hypothetical. That actually happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if <laughs> there's depraved enough people. I mean, I, I guess, you know, what am, what? Do, I guess the question is, what would anyone even do to stop it? And would yeah. they have a right to stop it? And would uh, you feel justified in stopping it? Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, I, that I, was I, tough. I wouldn't be hanging around those people, probably. Yeah, well, the one guy's going to be dead soon, so you don't have to worry about that, but. Yeah, I think some social ostracism would probably occur to the guy who ate the other guy uh, on request. You know, yeah, I'm not going to be running in circles with that dude. But um, anyway, let's let's move on to another um, kind of trope that they they pull out here, and, and that's the guy who buys the uh, the sharpener system because they advertise it on TV, and we're all mindless Galbraithian mm-hmm. drones who it's buy whatever is marketed mm-hmm. to us. And he was duped. West. Yeah, we're duped into buying things because of advertising and and. Uh, and all of this. And then, of course, of course, it's almost a planned out obsolescence thing because the next day after you buy it, then they come out with some new thing that's even better that totally obsoletes the thing you just bought because now you don't even need to sharpen your knife. Now it's self sharpened. So he just wasted all this money on a sharpening tool uh, that was like so amazing and, and, and talked up, hyped up, and he bought it um, because he's, you know, mindless and, and not able to choose what he's going to buy. So yeah, it's like all those morons that bought the iPhone 9. When you know the iPhone 10's coming, you morons. That's right. Yeah. And so now he's got this uh, uh, forever sharp um, knife. And I guess he bought that too. And I forget exactly why he's in jail. Oh, yeah. He threw a TV out because he was so incensed, so angry that uh, they duped him into buying the one thing and then came out with something even better that he also bought, uh, which is, you know, pretty ridiculous. Uh, so this whole planned obsolescence thing and the uh, whole um, we're, we're just mindless consumer zombies who are at the whim of advertisers, uh, the whole Galbraithian argument. Um, you want to just uh, tackle that for a moment there, Robert, because it's uh, it's another uh, fallacious uh, argument from yeah, one, of real our, dumb. one of our betters. Yeah, it's real dumb. I mean, it just stomps all over self-ownership. Like we're adults that can't decide for ourselves what we what our desires and what we want to have satisfy them. It's like we're just uh, brainless automatons that can be programmed at will. If that's true, then all advertising would work equally. Like I would just be constantly buying everything. Uh, to the point where I'm just like penniless, right? I mean, if, if that power, advertising has all this power over me and I can't discern one product from another, then why am I not just surrounded hoarder style in every single last thing that's ever been advertised? And some yeah. some people are. I mean, some people are hoarders and some people are, you know, compulsive shoppers and all of this. And, and I guess uh, people look at that and be like, well, yeah, Galbert's got a point. But, so they're victims. Yeah, they're, vic- <laughs> they're victims. It's not their fault. Consumerism uh, and, this, and this throwaway culture. But really, I mean, Advertising serves a very, very useful purpose, and it makes you aware of things that are 
out there in the world that can satisfy your wants, needs, and desires that uh, you may not even be aware of. You, you may see something that um, it occurs to you as you see it, like, oh, that's going to solve this problem I've been having. So advertising is a very, very important thing. It's a, it's a very important function that uh, conveys information back out to people, to consumers, to be able to know what's even available to them. Uh, and, and it helps kind of this virtuous circle of, of as people buy it, uh, more and better and cheaper versions, uh, more uh, efficient versions will then be created. So, you know, I don't yeah, think... The, sorry, the, go ahead. The, the early adopters for the first version of a thing allow and provide the capital for subsequent versions that are improved upon and improved upon. And the price gets d down as the manufacturers figure out how to make this thing better and better and cheaper. And compete with each other. To and compete with each other. And then uh, pretty soon it's cheap enough for everybody to have one. I mean, everybody's got a phone. These things are amazing. I mean, 20 years ago, if you waved one of these things around, it'd be like, what the hell is that? It's a Gandalf, he's a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so that kind of tackles that one a little bit. And I've got a, uh, a Rothbard uh, lecture series that goes into advertising and calls uh, Galbraith to the carpet um, in a pretty funny way. So I'll post that on our show notes page. Uh, and, and the whole lecture series is actually really good because um, it opens with Rothbard being hopping mad about price controls and, uh, and price gouging. And uh, this is early 70s when Nixon was putting in price controls. And we're seeing a lot of um, kind of similar destruction in the structure of production right now with the pandemic and the overreaction to it. I'm not saying that uh, the virus isn't a bad thing, but I'm saying is oh. that there's probably a whole lot of um, overcorrection happening or, or overcautiousness happening. What? Central planning isn't working out, Daniel? What are you <laughs> talking about? Not working out so good. So I think that this would be a very good lecture series to check out and also uh, take apart the advertising uh, from uh, Galbraithian uh, critique. Now, one of the uh, next things I wanted to talk about was uh, when he says uh, to the lady, you want to ration the food? What are you, a communist? And um, I thought at that time, you know, price gouging would probably solve the uh, situation here because if you made it cost something for those people uh, at the upper levels, then they would only consume what they actually need versus as much as they can get or as much as they want. Uh, so they can kind of be gluttonous uh, because they have this like bounty uh, afforded to them. Um, and so... I don't, you know, there, there is no real work happening here. It is just like a prison. There's no like production happening. There's nobody putting anything out for exchange and uh, to, you know, grow the food stores that are coming down. It's all just kind of descending from heaven uh, or the heaven of this uh, platform thing. Uh, but it, uh, it, if, if they allowed price gouging, then it would have given a better allocation of the limited supply of resources. The scarcity would have uh, gotten further down into the platform. Well, any pricing whatsoever, if there's any kind of currency or any kind of economy at all that happened and you had it like a vending machine came down, <laughs> then yeah. And the, the, the snails were, you know, a thousand dollars and you even just got some kind of stipend every month or something. And you had to make your choices that way. That way you could, you could maybe one day splurge on the lobster and then the rest of the time you're eating like rice cakes or something. But yeah, any kind of price system at all would uh, allow for a far more spread out distribution of the goods even though they only had seemed to have like what like 30 seconds or a minute to eat yeah. as much as they could it didn't seem like it was very long yeah it did seem to go pretty quickly um mm -hmm. but uh and i didn't understand the whole premise of if we send back some of the food it gets all the way to the bottom and then comes back up and there's one undisturbed dish solidarity daniel what does that even it's a raised fist it's a raised fist like it's it's some some bit of information coming back to the people at the top, but they're just compartmentalized cooks or cleaning people or whatever. 
Like, what are they mm-hmm. going to do? They're not going to care. Yeah, the end of the movie should be just a janitor that comes along and pushes a broom and dumps the little girl into a big sweeps, dumpster. Yeah. And just... <laughs> sweeps it off. Well, and and, and the ending of, of this uh, ascending girl who's under the uh, the youngest age that's supposed to be in there, I think uh, the one lady says 16. So I, I guess the point is that it's going to blow wide open the fact that they're not following their own rules. It's like no, 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 unconstitutional. No, it's... It's it like is. who cares? Nobody, nobody follows the Constitution. They just pay lip service to it when they can beat the other side over with it, over the head with it. That's all well, the Constitution is for these days. The the whole thing with the girl was um, that we're going to send a child up to do better than we did. She's ascending. We're teaching her how to do better. That's why they walk away. They use the little child as if the future is always in the children. Teach them to do better than what we did. Because think to get down all the way to that point to realize it, they had to kill how many people? So it would be better than us creepy well, yeah it definitely seems like she's a message to the people in charge i yeah i don't know if she could explain to the people above just exactly what kind of horrors are going on because there's no windows right they're not being observed in any way well except that there's food they know somehow if there's like food in your pocket or in your well, hand how do you even survive at that point i mean she was on level 333 when they found her yeah like, very how long have you been down there Did yeah she should have been dead is she surviving because the lady goes down every month and brings her flesh of some other person? Like, is that how she's keeping the kid alive? Otherwise, how are they getting any food? Well, I think she kept looking for her and, and was unable to find her. And every once in a while, she would you know drop down to the next level, and then she'd get assaulted or detained for a few days and raped for a few days or whatever before then she could continue on. But then after that month, she would just end up on some other random floor and have to start all over again. Yeah, really, this movie should have had like a little cubby, like aliens newt style where she had like some box of crackers and some things keeping her alive because yeah I, d- I didn't understand how she was still alive down at the bottom mm-hmm. and healthy because it's not like she's madly stuffed her face with that cake she just ate it casually like she'd been eating all the, the whole time well she might have been guys. just gotten to that floor she might have been on a higher floor the month prior and had food available to her and then she ended up on this um ep- uh, level 333 because it wasn't very long after our hero and uh, the other dude who ends up going down with him and defending the food all the way down. I think it was in the early days of that month. When so you got the, wait, so Daniel, you got the sense that the little girl was somebody's roommate every month. And it was just right. now yeah. that she was all alone. Yeah. Yeah. I that th- is not the impression I got at all. Like who, if she's been searching, she goes down every, every week or every day looking for this kid. She would have found her. Yeah, no, but there's so many and she gets delayed. She only has a month. She only has 30 days to try to get all the way through. And every once in a while, she gets detained, caught on level for, for a few days at a time. Our heroes go down in one day. Yeah, because there's two of them with weapons. And that one she's a badass happen. killer lady. She, does ninja have, she, lady. Has the knife. she gets the knife, kills she the guy right, right below. Mm-hmm. Right. But she does. She hasn't she hasn't achieved her goal yet. So she's been trying, but she hasn't achieved it. I think you're a. Uh... I would have Platform to imagine though, at this point, Daniel. <laughs> well, the old man knows her at the beginning. He, the old man calls out what she's doing. So she's been around and the old man's been around a long time. So you'd have to think that at some point in time, she was able to make it all the way down to the bottom. Well, they keep shuffling the deck. And right. if she gets delayed every couple of floors or whatever, there's only so many times she can get delayed before she only gets so far before she gets reshuffled. And what if the girl's above her? There's yeah, she can like, only go below, but... If if the, the the people are getting shuffled around all the time, word would get out. Like, hey, there's a kid here. I mean, information is still going to get shared. You go to a prison today, everybody knows everything about everybody's business because that's all there is to do is talk. 
That's one of the big freaking unrealistic okay. things about this movie is that the people above and below weren't having conversations. They were just like, fuck you, asshole. Yeah. And no, fuck you. And fuck you. It would be like, oh, hey, Bob, how's it going up there? Yeah, well, pretty good. This week I got some food this time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the I, old I, man's I, still I, under the impression there's no kids. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Robert. I, I think that that really there would be a whole lot of communication going on. They'd be passing messages, telephone style, all the way up and down the column and all this. But there was yep. this um, social structure in place where people were very, um, it was almost like in high school. like uh, Well, maybe not high school, but like junior high or, or younger, where uh, if a kid was a grade or two above you, you didn't talk to him. And if they were a grade or two, <laughs> you didn't talk to him. And so that was mm-hmm. kind of like th- what was going on here because they had this like class warfare thing going on and there were apparently 333 classes of people. And if there were even one level above you, they're going to piss on you, pit, spit on you, poop on your food, whatever, poop on your mm-hmm. face, which I think was a hate crime, by the way, because <laughs> it was a black guy trying to climb up and then the lady poops on him. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, but mm-hmm. then you know, they can't talk to the people below him because they're beneath them, like literally. And uh, so much so that- Temporarily. Right, temporarily. And so that's why it doesn't make any sense. That's right. It, it makes no it, sense. Yeah, it makes no sense, but it's like part of this world, right? And so because it's part of the premise of this world, uh, it's this uh, world of envy and very um, hard classes where if they're above yeah. you, they're way better than you. And if they're right, below, but they're if, if, if they had never shuffled around and they were just stuck on your floor and you got the feeling that the people above you felt better than you, and the people below you really were beneath you. And like, you began to believe that they were there for a reason and that you're there for a reason and they're up there for a reason. Then I can see why there would be some kind of like, Hey, fuck you down there, asshole. And Oh, fuck you up there. But since they got shuffled around all there, it was always random. I don't really think that would set in. So it, it that, that part made no sense to me. Right. Yeah. And I, I totally see what you're saying that, that because it's random, you would think that they would understand that it's random and like, in the Rawlsian experiment, you could be up there next time and way down low the other time. So you might as well treat people with some dignity and respect, but they were very slavish to this idea of whoever's above me is better than me and, and not going to talk to me. And whoever's below me is a piece of shit and I can treat him as bad as I want. Well, maybe this movie's trying to tell us that people are just easily programmed by advertising and also by <laughs> placement, current <laughs> placement, wherever they are now, they have no memory of a month ago and they have no sense of the future. It's just whatever's happening right now is the way that it is and the way it's always been. Yeah, sure. A lot of people bought Samurai Plus after this film. Yeah, it's all sharpening knife. I could use one of those. So let's talk about the spontaneous order and why that doesn't work. And how the movie, it doesn't even work in the movie. And I think it's kind of an admission, right? That communism can't work. Mm -hmm. Because they try, the lady is trying to get everybody to agree to only eat their, whatever their their ration is. And people are like, no, I'm in it for my own Mm self-interest. So in the sense- Last month I was starving. Yeah. So I, it ignores, so communism ignores humans' own self-interest. I think the movie makes it perfectly clear that it wouldn't work. There's no room for it. Or that the only way to enforce the equality of, that they are desiring is violence. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the one woman is like telling people to eat their portions and then create two portions for the people below them and just pass it on in this sort of like kumbaya, pay it forward kind of thing. Uh, but the guys that she's telling this to just ignore her, tell her, tell her off and all this stuff. And eventually our hero is like, do it or I'll shoot on your food. Um, and she's like amazed. And, and how can she get the people above him to do it? He goes, well, I can't shit upwards. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's sort of like um, if you have the capacity to have a, um, not a legitimate, but a um, credible threat, then that can earn some respect or garner some respect for what you're asking for, because you can follow through on what you're saying you will do if they don't do what you want. To kind of follow sure. them. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, if you're just talking at your ass and claiming that you're going to shit on their food, even though they're above you. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, so you can't. Uh, and I'm not saying it's like the best negotiation negotiation tactic, but the other uh, method of negotiation wasn't working. Um, and so, you know, he had to like try something else and, and it ended up working at least uh, a little bit initially. Right, uh, but then ultimately their communism is enforced through violence. Yeah, yeah, or, or threats of like defiling your food. because the visceral- no, actual violence when the two of mm-hmm. them go down and yeah. start beating the crap out of everybody and they only get to like floor, what, 50 and then they start distributing mm-hmm. food to... No, right. And it sort of makes, their argument sort of makes sense. Like, well, people on the first 50 or so floors, they eat every day. So it's a it's sort of a minor inconvenience for them to miss out on a ration one day. You know, mm-hmm. um, now that quote sort of ignores the whole subjective value thing. And, and the um, you, know, you can't cross compare subjective values amongst people. But it sort of has on its face a credible concept because the people on the lower floors are getting no food at all. And uh, the argument is that there's enough food on this initial table that comes down for everyone to get enough to at least survive on. It's just a matter but, of distribution problem. Right. But as they learn, they don't know how many people there are. Right. Yeah. They don't know how far it goes. So they don't know what the ration is, the equal ration is for each person. Well, so just I, guessing. I see, and I took that as... It's central planning saying, at its finest. That They don't even know the numbers. Well, but it, even in a... Were they saying if you just eat what you asked for? He only asked for the snails. So does that mean every time the platform came down, if he just ate his snails, then he'd be fine? And then they imply, obviously, that everybody would get what they needed. And it's like, well, what if you're the person that asked for the bottle of wine? You're never actually going to get anything. Right. And that's part of that bait and switch, because the question isn't, what are you willing to eat every day you're in here? Mm-hmm. It's, what's your favorite food? Right. Yeah. You can eat, or what's your favorite thing to have? You know, wine or escargot, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but they're using that answer. And and. That reminds me of like the census and, and other uh, statistical measurements the government tries to use to uh, divine what uh, to survey. do. Yeah, some that, survey. Yeah, some survey. Because, yeah, they're, they're going to take some information that you provided at one static point in time and use that for some other, you know, longer period of time before they can implement whatever solution they're trying to do. And uh, by that time, their data is obsolete, totally irrelevant, or they're going to misconstrue it. Uh, and uh, or their own actions create distortions in the market that change the nature of the, the market in the first place that right, created yeah. the conditions in the beginning. And, and this is relevant because I just actually completed my census uh, online. Um, Daniel, I didn't want someone Ooh. showing up. You harass- bootlicker. I didn't want someone harassing me. So what I did, um, <laughs> here, here's a, here's a, did you say that Spider-Man lives with you? This is worth all of your, your Patreon dollars, everyone. Lastnarrative.com says Patreon. What you can do on the online is you can give them just the information that's constitutionally uh, required or authorized for them to ask for. They'll say other things are required and they'll give you an error message if you don't fill them out. But if you just hit submit again, it'll take you to the next question. So there are like three or four questions that you are supposedly legal required to um, respond to. Now, I think that's, of course, bullshit. But if, if, if they're going to claim that these are the rules, then they can't really come after you if you, if you give them that bare minimum. So I think it's the number of people in the house, uh, your name and contact information, um, and whether you live at the address, something like that. Like, those are the required things. Number of people live in the house, a legitimate, you know, like address, and that's it. All the other questions, you don't have to answer. They'll say you do, but you actually don't. So I, I ended up answering like three questions, and I did not fill in the other 30 or whatever, and just click submit, and then aired, and then click submit again, and just got all the way through to where it said, you've completed your census. Print this page to, you know, confirm that you've done it. So if they ever come so back, the Gestapo. you didn't give me enough information. I'll be like, well, I got this thing that says I did. So there you go. But anyway, take it uh, to the man, Daniel. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Rothbard has a really good take on um, uh, what he would do with um, the statistic takers. 
uh, he would blind the state. Why, why give them any information with which they can um, pretend to know what to do, to where to devote resources? You know, he would blind the state, not, not give them this information that they can uh, pretend to allocate resources to something um, because it's as soon as you collect that data, it's already out of date. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, anyway. Just got to the scene with the girl eating the cake. She looks so healthy. Yeah, I mean, you can't really starve a kid just to make a movie, but yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Although, I don't know, man. Man, some of these movies as of late have really started breaking that uh, the child rule where you can't kill a child on a movie scene. Mm. You ever remember that rule? It was like an unspoken kind of thing where for the longest like, time, you like, can't kill a dog. if a kid was going to die, you couldn't show the scene. And mm. like recently, there was some Nazi movie that was on, and they just straight shot the kid right in the head, and you're just like, oh, oh wow. okay. Damn. Yeah, well, the, the lead actor in this, apparently he... Um, he lost, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds um, during the shoot so that they sort of shot it chronologically. So early on, he's, you know, his normal figure or whatever. Is that the right word? Is that right? Yeah, is, you're admiring a man's figure. Yes, yeah, that's the right word. Normal proportions. Healthy, thick. Um, but by the end, he's, he's very gaunt and very thin. He, he kind of pulls that uh, Christian Bale thing. You know, he mm-hmm. did The Machinist, that movie mm-hmm. famously, where he got like super, super thin. Then he got super buff and ripped for Batman. And Robert Pattinson just came out and said that uh, he's not going to work out to be Batman. He's going to be, I'm Beta Man. He's not going to work Well, out. isn't he playing like a young Batman, though? So maybe he can get I, away with that. He is, I, I think. But and, and yeah, he could probably get away with it. But he's he's standing on this platform of smashing the patriarchy to do it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a virtue signal, basically. Gross. Um, well, here, here's the other thing about the, them going down and protecting the food, defending it as they're going down. Uh, being able to, being willing to and able to defend the food uh, does actually get some of the food down to the lower level. So they have the capacity to defend and the capacity to negotiate from a position of strength as they're going down with people. And then if, if people aggress against them, and, and actually this is a good question for you, Robert, are they, in a, are they actually defending or are they, because the other people have sort of been a riparian um, water allocation model of you know the flow from a river like people upstream have acquired a certain homestead at a certain amount and as people move further and further down they've allocated homestead their amount have the people on the upper floors homesteaded having a certain amount of food allocated to them and then these guys standing on this platform with weapons saying no don't touch the food if you do we're going to kill you well have they acquired it justly uh, the people who are used to being on floor 12 and getting the floor 12 amount of food. I mean, used to, what are you talking about? It's once a, one month, everybody's swapping around every month. Right, right, right. But, but if they're, if they're on floor 12 now and they're on floor 12, floor 12 for a couple of weeks, they've gotten used to it, right? They've homesteaded the floor 12 amount of food. <laughs> <laughs> Homesteading the floor 12 amount of food. Okay, go ahead. So are the guys now defending that floor or the, the food as it descends down? Are they being uh, defensive, defensive, or are they being the aggressor as they're going down? Because they're provi- they're preventing the people from getting the amount of food that they had been homesteading for the last, you know, however many days that they've been on that floor. Well, they're definitely making a property claim, right? They're they're saying that this is the food that belongs to people below us, and then we're defending it. So, or at least that it belongs to us, and then we're going to distribute it to people below us. I don't, I don't, I I tend to agree with you in the sense that. They're taking it from somebody who's expecting it, but it's not theirs. Just because you expect a thing doesn't mean you own a thing. Like you're expecting a handout from somebody every week. Well, you don't get it one week. Did they rob it from you? No. 
it's not, it wasn't yours in the first place. It's like when people make the argument that you downloaded a, a song and now you're stealing out of the hands of the musician, Scott, <laughs> you're Scott doesn't actually own future sales. So he might've been expecting a sale, but he doesn't own that future sale. So nobody actually stole it from him. So I, I tend to think that you, even though they expected it, they didn't own that food. So I, I mean, nobody's, nobody's a great actor in this situation. I, I can't, I can't necessarily well, put I mean, the old man more blame it. on one person than another, but the old man says it. I mean, when the, the heat and the temperature changes, you don't own the food, throw it back. So it's for floor 12 to stake a claim to something. It wouldn't make any sense. It's not theirs. Well, Scott, here, here's a question that's kind of related. Do you think that it makes sense that the, the movie seems to be arguing that people in their own um, little bubble aren't going to look at the bigger picture? Like there's who knows how many floors on here it ends up being 333. So because people don't have the information and don't know that there's a bunch more people below them that aren't going to get food if they take more than they, you know, quote unquote need, is the movie making this argument that um, if people knew then they would act differently. They would behave differently. Or that if there's somebody was righteous enough to impose upon everyone conveying this information and perhaps through threats of violence um, to get the food all the way down to the bottom, uh, that they're seeing the bigger picture. And it's sort of analogous to like a climate change uh, crisis where individual actors may not be aware of how much harm they're causing. But if you get you know a little Swedish girl uh, saying, how dare you, uh, to galvanize everybody into... Uh, voting for impoverishment and and probably the deaths of hundreds of millions of people who are living on the margins, uh, that is the solution, the catalyst, the spontaneous uh, unity, bottom unity, <laughs> whatever the commie jargon is, um, that will uh, uh, get those things accomplished uh, on a collective uh, greater good level. Scott. Oh, man, you're going to have to repeat the first part of your question. Oh, man, I... <laughs> Like I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> you yeah no you started. I, I guess that the argument is that because people are all in their little bubbles on their individual floors, they're gonna only be looking out for their individual selves. But if they were aware of the greater good argument, um, that that would be better for everybody. Well, I mean, even if they are aware of it, it seems like they try to tell that. And the first person we encounter is somebody who's been there, so he knows that there's people far above him and far below him. And he still doesn't care and becomes boiling down to the idea of they don't know where they're going to be the next month. And if you don't know where you're going to be, then this might be the only time you get to eat. And so you better get your stomach full. And, but it's just silly because it's not, it's the back to the fixed pie thing. It's, that's not how it would be out in, out in reality in the sense that the plate is always there as long as you're willing to go put the work in to get it and, and do what's necessary to put the food on your plate. Yeah, I think whether this movie realizes it or not, the real message that it's conveying is the tragedy of the commons. There is no individual private property ownership of any of this food. There's no price system. It's all like collectively owned food. So nobody knows, you know, what's yours and what's his and what's whatever. It's just all commonly used and it gets trashed and destroyed. And some people use it more than others and other people uh, get screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, man, dude, the deer leases are the same way when before, before my dad ever bought, his ranch out in West Texas, whenever we were on deer leases, the fact that you did not know the next year, if the, the owner of the land was going to continue leasing out the property or if he was going to lease it to somebody else. Cause he's got a buddy he wants to help out. You didn't know that. So you took everything you could, you got a tag for six deer total. You took all six deer. It didn't matter. But now that I'm in control of the property and I've got to worry about what's on my property, 
do I really want to shoot that deer this time? Or do I want to wait for it to grow up next year? And, and, and I'm, I'm far more conservative about what I'm, what is my plate and what I'm willing to take from it rather than just depleting my resources because I'm mad hungry and I don't know if next year I'm going to get to do it again. No, this, this is actually a great uh, insight, Robert, because you're right. It is, it is a tragedy of the common situation and it's the lack of property rights that eliminates the whole concept of conserving any of this because people are going to get what they can because it's there because they don't know uh, how much needs to go down and, and if they're going to get more next time or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's getting as much as possible to deplete the resources as rapidly as possible. And it's the worst possible way of managing <laughs> any resource. Um, Absolutely. And- no, it reminds me of uh, when we did uh, Dance with the Wolves, right? And they had those white hunters or whatever. They went and shot all those buffaloes and there wasn't any buffaloes for the the natives and everybody was sad. Yeah. Hey, that's a good segue. And then we're going to have to start winding this down. We're already like already long. But um, this segue is um, about the two dudes um, who, when they're on level six, they say only a lunatic gives up level six. And the, the guy responds, well, we're just two dudes just going for it. Is this them using their position of privilege to help those with less privilege below them? Is this not the white guilt argument? This is the white savior. Yeah, they're going to do it. Well, one guy's black, but you know what I mean? Yeah, the privileged position to save those less fortunate. Mm-hmm. God, they sure do turn him into a Christ-like figure. Even on his way down, he's carrying his cross. You know, he's covered in blood. Uh, they Maybe do everything possible to, yeah, yeah. to make it seem like he is taking this upon himself and then at the very end what does he do he sacrifices himself yeah greater good yeah, yeah all right a so movie. i have one last question and i'll direct this to you robert and then we can do our final summary review or check in on any other notes you guys have but the question is this in the uh, the point of trying to convince them instead of threatening them that's sort of arguing for argumentation ethics while negotiation is preferred and less costly than violence but sometimes violence still happens. So I wonder if you could take off on that a little bit because obviously you would prefer not to use violence because violence uh, is more costly than negotiation because it could be final if you end up um, dying as a result of exerting that violence. Can you talk a little bit about um, negotiation versus imposing violence? Sure, yeah, no, they, they talk to that wise man who's like, no, first you, you, you talk to him a little bit, then you bring out the stick. And yeah, that that does show Hoppe's uh, argumentation ethics, where you, by even the act of having a dialogue, is showing that you prefer to have a dialogue instead of just going straight to the violence. And you're, you're right, uh, violence is unpredictable. It's dangerous. It's risky. You could die. You could run into somebody. You know, when you're uh, an athlete, and unless you're, even if you're at the tippity top, there's always somebody out there in the world who's better than you. You could run in, even if you're like Bruce Lee going into that thing and I'm just, no worries, I'm going to beat everybody up. You don't know what you're going to go to the next floor down. And you could get bum rushed, you get hit in the back. You could you could just run into somebody who's better than you. So yeah, violence is absolutely um, a danger. And at least they're doing it themselves. So it's not like they're negotiating, you know, to propositioning the state to do it for them or anything like that. Yeah, they're not outsourcing the violence by, mm-hmm. by voting or something like that. Um, <laughs> but this also kind of takes on the Ayn Randian uh, critique of libertarianism where there's um, the, you need a police, uh, a monopoly power in police because otherwise the competing agencies would go to war with each other and there'd be a blank out uh, situation. But as you just said, there'd be um, a higher cost to having violence versus having negotiated agreements uh, ahead of time or third party arbitrators who both parties would agree to abide by their decision. And so that kind of overcomes the whole uh, uh, Ayn Randian uh, critique of anarchism. 
Absolutely. No, uh, one of your jobs as a human adult is to assess risk and to mitigate risk and insurance mitigates risk. And insurance companies would definitely prefer arbitration over direct violent action. And so, yeah, there would be all kinds of incentives in place for people to behave in a rational, peaceful manner, because you don't want to just break out the AK-47 and put it on the back of the pickup truck and just go shooting up your neighbors. That's just not going to get you anywhere real quick. You're saying you don't want to answer retribution. You don't want to move to Somalia there, Robert? (laughs) You know, Somalia sounds like a great place. I'm not going to lie. I mean, but... No, I kind of, I kind of like where I live right now, except for the fact that I got this uh, violent, horrific, tyrannical commissar who <laughs> thinks he owns me and can tell me what to do. Yeah, uh. yeah, you do have that. Um, yeah. So let's get into uh, any final notes, uh, Scott. Do you have any other notes? I know that you saw a lot of um, religious themes in this and uh, some colors that were maybe uh, symbolic of certain things. I know on uh, I sent you a picture of floor thirty three. 33 can be religious. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Jesus was 33 when he died. And he has his revelation with the lady because all of a sudden he takes an interest in trying to get her point across. You know, he starts carrying her message and her burden. So certainly there were religious. And and of course, and they keep talking about God. They kept asking about it. Um, And then he turns around and acts on his own like it. Um, But then, yeah, the other stuff I had was like um, a poor idea of uh, like... And I hate this word, but uh, trickle down economics, you know, where uh, we'll give enough at the very top and eventually it'll trickle its way down and the people will get some at the bottom. And it's just that was a lot of it was poorly designed in their attempt to critique economics and capitalism. Yeah. How many fallacies can they cram into one movie? It seems to be the challenge here. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know how much we're reading into it and how much the authors intended, but it definitely seems like they're trying to make some economic social commentaries and they are, it's just all really, really bad. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. if they have to invent this fantastical scenario, because they, they can't show it happening in the real world, mm-hmm. they, uh, and there's no you know, chance you know of voluntary mobility. Yeah, there's no chance for me to better myself. It's entirely random. And that's, that's so stupid. No, no, it's not. How many people pick themselves up by their bootstraps and, get themselves up to the top because they freaking work for it. Even in this limited sense of this movie, you know, he does get better at being in this system. He he gets Mm -hmm. more adapted at it and more used to it. And he actually does uh, gain some more abilities and some knowledge of how it works. So even within this very confined structure, he still is improving himself and bettering himself and working towards a goal by the end of this movie. So, you know, it's just like um, you can't shut down an economy, even in prison, Apparently you can in the real world just by dictate, but uh, people still trade uh, cigarettes. They become currency in, in prisons and they can't feed drugs out of prisons and all this. And uh, one last comment and then, then I'll, I'm gonna let you finish uh, Scott. I'm gonna do my Kanye impersonation. <laughs> uh, the director says the film's key message is that humanity will have to move towards the, the fair distribution of wealth with an exploration of the importance of individual initiative in driving political change that critiques both capitalism and socialist systems. It sounds like he's arguing for a third way, a sort of uh, middle of the road approach to uh, the political economy and how things would operate. But uh, as Mises has a wonderful essay uh, called Middle of the Road Leads to Socialism, he argues that uh, communism or socialist structures and capitalism or free market uh, exchange are actually opposing actions uh, and cannot be merged together or work together. And in fact, uh, if you try to impose socialism or socialist policies um, or even just price controls or something that as, as an example, the problem that they're trying to solve will actually be worsened by it. And there will be further interactions and interventions that they'll try to overcorrect for the 
uh, previous interaction or uh, intervention, and it moves to on towards the socialism. So I'll have that on our show notes page as well. It's a really good, really good essay. It debunks the whole concept of there being a third way at all. Granted, we kind of live in a mix, a hybrid mixed version of just more and more uh, socialism kind of being imposed, but it's a, it's a gradual creep. And I think it actually fits right in line with um, you're either moving in one direction or the other. And we're definitely moving towards socialism in this country. Mm-hmm. All right, Daniel, this is where you help Scott lead in with his final thoughts there. Oh man, I completely forgot what I was going to say a second ago. Sorry, man. No, no, that's right. It happens. Yeah, we tend to do that. That's what we do. And we just run our mouths for a while and we disrupt and interrupt and make our guests forget what they were talking about. Um, well, Robert, did you have any final notes? Maybe that'll spark um, Scott's memory a little bit. We'll jumpstart his heart. Well, I can just move into the final summary review. I don't have uh, any more notes. You you did a really good job getting all those notes together. I, I, I don't even know if I saw all those economic fallacies and things. So that was that was fantastic. Well, I'll just interrupt for just one moment. If we recorded the show yesterday, I would have none of this. Our original plan was to record this yesterday and plans fell through. Scott, you were too busy. You, had, you were doing a, a nice... Built uh, a shed for my mama. Yeah, you 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 did it. You helped a old lady cross the street or whatever. <laughs> you did a good thing. You did your good deed. Coughed gear. all over her. <laughs> um, but because I had more time to reflect on this, I actually went through my notes again and like expanded on them and kind of developed this kind of oh he's talking about Rawls here, he's talking about Galbraith here, he's talking about this over here. And so we have more content for this show because we delayed it by a day. Anyway, Robert, take it away with your final summary review. Okay, so as I think we've well explained in this review, the the social commentary falls well short. I wish more creators were were, were schooled in the Austrian tradition or even the Chicago school or any kind of economics beyond the Keynesian type crap. But um, it, I I can as if obviously, like you said, the the writers were going for some kind of commentary. I still think you can watch it purely as a psychology type experiment, uh, a character study and enjoy it. You can watch it and not get any of this economic talk at all. You can it also pass right over your head. And I think you can enjoy this quite a bit. If you're an Austrian and you're watching this and you're just like, Oh, could it get any dumber? I think you're going to have a far less good time. So this is another one of those like double review episodes but I'll split the difference here in the middle. I think if you're like a, you could you're just like a horror fan, I think you can watch it and enjoy it and get, and it's like a 7.5. But if you're an Austrian, this is like a three or a four. So I'm somewhere in the middle, like a 5.56. It's, it's, it's like around there. I, I, I was entertained by it and I enjoyed the, the, the Spanish language and, but you know, nobody else is going to end up being enjoying that. I mean, very few, I can't imagine you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to, play up my old dust off my old Spanish skills. But um, I mean, it was well acted, it was well shot. It looked like a, it was very inexpensive to make, right? I mean, you just have like the one set and then you like reshoot it from different angles to make it look like different floors and change out a few details. But um, I think it's a cool concept. It was like a one act play style, like I said at the beginning. And it works as a, as a character study in the depths that um, someone will go to to survive in this hellhole that they either voluntarily put themselves in or were put into. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm also glad we tore it the hell apart. So mm-hmm. that's that. Yeah. I think that was uh, that was appropriate because there was a whole bunch of stuff crammed into this. And it's like, uh, I'll just get into my summary and review here. I, I think you're right. It, it is uh, on one level, an entertaining movie, a horror genre film that is fun to watch. It'll keep you entertained and uh, keep you interested in watching it and kind of grossed out a little bit. But if you're looking at it from an economic standpoint at all, uh, you're going to just be tripping over all the fallacies all over the place. It's ridiculous. Like 
they have to construct this entirely like artificial system to even try to make any of it make sense. And uh, so we kind of ripped that um, a bit in this and, and we'll have a lot of the uh, resources that you can dig into it further on our show notes page at lastnarrative.com slash one, two, four. And uh, I agree. I think as, as a film for entertainment value, just for watching it, like watching a saw movie, if you're into that, um, you know, if, if you like those kind of films, you're probably going to think very highly of this. Uh, but if you can look at it, you know, with a critical eye towards, um, you know, what kind of social message are they trying to convey? It's going to look like commie propaganda. So it's really hard to give it a score. I mean, I kind of have that split personality idea on it as well. Like as a film, it's pretty good, like at seven or an eight, but as a social commentary or uh, kind of a reflection on society, I think it's really terrible. <laughs> I think it's going to give people a really awful message and make them think that, uh, that uh, socialism is the answer to, to solve the problems of capitalism uh, when, you know, not, nothing is capitalistic in this at all. So uh, for that, I would give it like a two, but, um, you know, kind of settle in on a, on a five kind of go in between. Uh, what's your take, Scott? Well, well I remembered. Um, thanks to notes. Um, the comment I was going to make was you were saying how he kind of grows in the story. And there's a hint, obviously, because he's getting an accredited diploma. Um, and he brings a book that he's the intellectual class entering this. And so there's this kind of split between philosophy and then he's subjected to reality, which is the whole. And you can tell right off the bat, there's conflict between what would have been the philosophy and the, the literature and then how it actually plays out in reality. It doesn't work. None of it works. Nobody's willing to help each other. They're all greedy and willing to kill each other. Um, but as far as what y'all said, yes. Um, I mean, I had, I've had it going on in the background, but it was muted. And if I'm not having to listen to it and you're just watching the film, yeah, it's a cool film. Um, it's, I don't know if that kind of closeness to the, the eating human part, um, that might be a little bit too much for me on wanting to recommend it to anybody, but if that's what you're into, then they'll like it. Um, but yes, I couldn't get over the, the commentary enough to enjoy the film because the whole time you're just stuck in an eye roll, like, Oh God, that's, that's not what would happen. That's not how that would play out. So and, then 90 yeah. minute eye roll. Yeah, if yeah, you get stuck in that, stuck. like from the get-go, you're just like, yeah. no, I'm not on yeah, board right, for this at all. There's only three classes of people, those above, those below, and those who fall. No. Yeah, I could see someone really not liking this movie just from the get-go. Just mm -hmm. the premise is dumb and no thank you. But. Mm -hmm. but I mean, yeah, just with it on mute, I mean, it's a cool film. It's gory, graphic, and... I, I guess I do appreciate if you're going to be graphic, then I would prefer that you're legitimate in your efforts to make it real. Um, but yeah, that's just not my, not that kind of film. I'm not into the, the graphic horror old school films like that. So, uh, what is it? 80s heavy metal? Isn't that what they call those films? Heavy metal films? Where it's like super graphic and violent like that? Like Slayer type films? There's a really awesome one. Grindhouse? Nicolas Cage. Um and I'm going to look up the title of it uh, and send it to you. And if y'all haven't seen that film, that one is, that one's nuts. Um, oh man, that's going to bother me. Y'all talk about it or something and I'm going to pull it up right now. Okay. Well, throw out, throw out a score for us. Um, um, for, with that commentary on mute, I'll go with a seven also. Um, but listening to the film, I'm like a three. <laughs> We're all right about the same. It's just, mm. The commentary, just if you can get past it, you can enjoy this film. Otherwise, it's terrible. All right, we'll split on down uh, all three ways here. Well, um, thank you, Scott, for for being our guest for this one. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and people can find you at uh, that Facebook page, Silence of the Memes, 
got a lot of good memes on there. There's a lot of Biden stuff on there, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um, you know, if, if he makes it through to the election, uh, you'll get a lot of mileage out of all of his guffaws and uh, sniffing of people and other random, weird, creepy things he does. Um, but uh, speaking of um, uh, shows and episodes that we do, uh, we have a better than zero chance. So better than zero of Jeff Deist, the president of the Mises Institute, joining us next week to do a Memorial Day episode on Apocalypse Now. Now, just That's in case, awesome. just in case it doesn't work out because it's it's a little bit uh, iffy, uh, we have a pretty solid plan B uh, guest. So the movie will definitely be Apocalypse Now, and we're going to be doing the theatrical cut. There are uh, two director's cuts out, and then there's also a documentary about the making of the film called Hearts of Darkness, which uh, I watched a few months ago, and it's really awesome. But uh, So we're going to be doing the theatrical cut, hopefully with Jeff Deist of the Mises Institute. And uh, if not him, then we'll have another good guest who is familiar with the film and filmmaking and has been on the show before. But I don't want to spoil that until we see you guys next week and let you know where we end up on uh, which, with which guest. Uh, but we're, we're going to really need to up our game next week if uh, Mr. Deist is able to join us there, Robert. That's a hell of a guest. He's a smart That's dude. Awesome. Well done. Yeah, we'll ask him like two questions and uh, <laughs> our hour because he'll he'll give a 30 minute response on either one and it'll be amazing. But uh, that's our show tonight. Um, so check it out at lastnerd.com slash 124. Give us a like or subscribe on the old YouTube and uh, rate us on iTunes and all those good places. And uh, give us some money on Patreon. Uh, check out Robert's artwork and wares available at trubster.com. And um, I guess we'll see you guys all next week. And uh, hopefully, Scott, you can stick around for a little bit more with our Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters. Hit us up at lastnarrows.com slash Patreon to get a piece of that and show notes and more at lastnarrows.com slash 124. And you can always find it on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And uh, with that, we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. Peace out. <laughs>